Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. For the 70th episode of our podcast, I interviewed Nate Walkinshaw, Chief Experience Officer at Pluralsight. Nate is widely known as a pioneer in technology product development and has directed discovery methodology. He is a master at the craft of building and designing amazing products to the point where he actually co-authored a book on the subject called Product Leadership, How Top Product Managers Launch Awesome Products and Build Successful Teams. Pluralsight is an enterprise technology learning platform that delivers a unified end-to-end learning experience for businesses across the globe. The company went public just last year and was recently recognized as one of the 2019 Best Workplaces in Technology by Fortune and Great Place to Work. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Nate's background starting out as an EMT and what that taught him about empathy and how that translates into building successful products, how this experience took him down the path of entrepreneurship and starting a company that invented the most recognizable hospital evacuation sled called the Paraslide, his transition into the tech industry and his work as a startup advisor and founder of Tanner Labs, all the details behind Pluralsight, their mission and products, plus the company's social impact, what the team is working on in the Boston office and future growth plans for this location, what he looks for when hiring, and advice for pursuing a career in product management, plus a lot more. Okay, quick side note, just in case you didn't know, Pluralsight is aggressively growing their Boston office, and they are hiring across multiple functional areas like marketing, product, engineering, data science, and analytics. Go to venturefizz.com backslash Pluralsight to check out all their job openings. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Nate. Nate, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks, man. I, uh, I'm super grateful to be here. Well, we have a lot to talk about. And, you know, for most people, uh, you know, you could say to someone, wow, that person is so amazing. They practically wrote the book on something, right? But you actually have written the book. So you wrote the book on, uh, you know, how to build awesome products. So what is that book all about? Yeah, I mean, the, there's, there's three of us, actually. There's three co-authors, well, two co-authors and myself, uh, Martin Erickson and Richard Banfield. Uh, and I think, I mean, the entire purpose of the book is to explore, uh, identify, and kind of uncover the most meaningful ways to develop products in today's, uh, in today's era. Uh, the other thing is, is that it wasn't meant to be just like an op-ed piece. It wasn't meant to be just a, you know, an opinion coming from Nate, Richard, or Martin. Uh, it was a demonstration of capturing all of the best voices, over 100 voices, um, out there in the product development world that are that are leading uh, the technology organizations and product organizations around the world and actually capture their voice and turn it into something really, really impactful that any other practitioner, uh, whether or not you're a product manager, a user experience designer, an engineer, or a product leader, uh, could use the actual pieces um, out of that book to do their job every single day. And so we, we covered a, a pretty wide range. We covered kind of the small and emerging smaller startups uh, space. We covered commercial, um, you know, bigger, wider ranges of employees uh, and product problems. And it was, uh, and then the enterprise. In addition to that, we also covered contractors, uh, you know, subject matter experts there, you know, contracting with big companies and teaching them, you know, product fundamentals uh, and how to build uh, human centered products at massive scale. And a lot of my, you know, personal IP, I wouldn't say all of my personal IP, but at least some of the stories around directed discovery, uh, human-centered design, building cross-functional, you know, co-located teams, it, it did make it uh, its way into the book. 
but we really wanted to make it about an artifact of, of where people are today, uh, what are those best practices, and then practically applying that knowledge uh, in everyday life. Now, what's really interesting about your background is you've obviously built many uh, successful products, but if you go way back in your history, you actually started out your career in a totally different field. So let's talk about kind of the foundation years of your experience. Yeah, I mean, I started out as an emergency medical technician uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah. I was making $7.14 an hour. Uh, you know, for those of, those of, you know, the listeners that, that know me well, that have done any history or research, um, you know, at the end of the day, the skill, the life skill that I feel like I was given, the gift that I was given was empathy. Um, and I actually believe that the origin story of really building successful products is um, being able to connect, you know, our, you know, a product to a person's life. Um, and you can't really do that well unless you empathize with, with the customer, unless you really unpack the things that are happening in their life. Um, and then building a, a, a team that can sense and respond uh, to those customers. And a lot of special things happened in the back of an ambulance. Uh, I was taught. I, I think the biggest takeaway around the skill of empathy and emergency medical technician is I really learned um, at a very young age uh, the different walks of life, marginalized communities. Um, you know, you got to see um, abuse and drug abuse and drug addiction. Um, you got to see a lot of different walks of life, uh, motor vehicle accidents to sickness and uh, the loss of life. And I think when you are in these really tender moments, you actually get to see the fabric or the DNA of the human condition. And so when you look at another person, my eyes don't see people maybe like um, maybe others would, uh, I think, would think, um, you know, most product leaders uh, would in my own context. And so I really, I really love this life skill. I love patient care. I love um, the bedside manner and being able to connect with someone in seconds. Uh, and you learn that craft very, very quickly, just given the conditions that you're in every day. And you ultimately, you know, this experience led you down the path of entrepreneurship and you actually built your first product based on being an EMT. So what, what was that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, I think this is where the intersection of two really uh, fundamental practices that I cared a ton about. Well, one, <clears throat> I was in the fire and EMS space and I wanted to help caregivers. People weren't really focusing on us. As caregivers, we we're super focused on the patient, right? Patient outcomes, uh, as we should. But when you think about the products that were being engineered for us, I mean, our ambulance caught in that DNA, that thing that transported the patient around, it was a folding ironing board. I mean, it was, it was a, a terrible piece of equipment. And if you think about how many times you have to lift and lower patients every single day, um, there was really no assist me mechanism. So back injuries were a huge, a huge issue. Um, I wanted to make sure that we could take care of patient caregivers, expand their life their life uh, within the EMS space. But ultimately what was cool is it increased patient outcomes significantly, like by redu uh, reducing back injuries in EMS by 80% globally, we actually improved the level of care uh, that we provided um, to, these, to these patients. Now I'll give you the juxtaposition. Why did product and entrepreneurship come together? Well, um, I invented this track system that mounted to the bottom of an ambulance cot. And when I lived in Salt Lake City, Utah, and if you know anything about the geography here, you know, we have, you know, homes that are multiple stories with basements and then also multiple floors above ground. So, you know, I built these tracks for the cot to carry a patient down a flight of stairs. We were, we were taught to get our, you know, our medical devices close to the patient as possible. And this is where, this is the reason why I actually built Directed Discovery is because I built a great solution for me. I didn't build a great solution for we, which was all paramedics. For instance, 
this track system was awesome in Utah. But then when I went to New York and you looked at brownstone apartments, yeah, it sucked. I mean, I got reamed <laughs> by paramedics in, in New York saying like, dude, like I can't even, I can't get this ambulance caught in, in this brownstone apartment. What were you thinking? Um, I, I go to Florida and look, there's no basements in Florida because the water table's so high. You go to the Carolinas and it's 30, 40 below. So the material, the metallurgy that I built it out of, um, like high density polyethylene uh, for plastics, I mean, it just shattered. Um, mm -hmm you know, in a lot of these instances, and it's just really, really harsh conditions. So the why behind directed discovery, the human centered design thinking was that it was bias that led me into this trap. And when I say this trap, I mean, Sarah and I, our boy, I mean, we lost everything. We lost our house, we moved in in-laws, um, you know, we had to rebuild the company, we laid off employees. Uh, I mean, it was a horrific lesson to learn. Um, and it was what created uh, my ability to create future success, this, this cata you know, catastrophic failure and just a lot of help along the way. I mean, I was taught, I was perpetually taught. And what I really learned is that you really want to put the customer at the center of everything you do. You want to put yourself with the team in the center of the things that you work on and do. But ultimately it did lead to a success, right? Like the company was ultimately acquired. So obviously you had to figure out the product and the different environments people would need to, to be a part of. And then yeah. obviously, you know, focus on those different types of products to be successful. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the irony here, right, is that I started a company in EMS and I ended up in hospitals for the foreseeable future for at least the next three years designing, um, you know, a hospital evacuation sled. But that was totally led through the voice of the customer. I mean, I, you know, it was it was led through, you know, emergency preparedness coordinators from around the world trying to figure out how to vertically evacuate patients from high rise buildings. And uh, and once you aggregated that research, the solution was very clear. Um, but it was, it, it was a pretty harsh lesson to learn, no question. And what brought you to the tech industry after that? Yeah, so when, when Paramed was bought by Stryker Medical, we had, we had produced at Paramed five products, one new product every single year for five years. One of those products was the Move Chair. And essentially what that was a, was a powered stair chair. So you didn't have to lift and lower patients up and down a flight of stairs any longer. And I would say that step was the first step into IoT products. We really had to figure out how to connect. Um, well, you had to figure out, you know, all the electronics specifically for the stair chair, but you had to connect to, to give software updates, you know, over the air um, to, you know, to the board inside of the, the move chair. And that was interesting. I mean, we, we hadn't really walked ourselves from hardware into software into IoT products. So when I got bought by Stryker, um, they were actually attempting to do that that very same thing, um, you know, with PowerLoad, uh, PowerPro, and getting PowerLoad and PowerPro to talk to each other uh, through low energy Bluetooth and RFID technology. You know, and this was this is new. I mean, this is new and emerging stuff. The technology been around forever, um, but you know, us actually creating a unified user experience through connected products. Uh, was was a very new experience. And so I got to be a part of the team um, and lead the team in a lot of those areas around uh, the first four rates. So that's where I ended up in software. I just found out like, look, software, <laughs> software products are just a lot um, easier to build. You know, <laughs> you have millions and millions of dollars of molds, you know, for, for, you know, extrusions and plastics and, you know, you're three suppliers deep and, you know, you miss something in production, and you go on ship hold. I mean, I'm telling you, man, it's 
Yeah. So much love and respect for IoT manufacturers because that that's actually the hardest job in our industry right now is IoT connected devices, especially on the security side. Security yeah. stuff. Yep. That's why they say hardware is hard, right? So building a physical yeah. product that needs to be manufactured and all the components, it's crazy. Yeah. Yep. Now, so, so, but then you actually started building products in software and web and you, uh, you know, built uh, another, you know, success story here where you built out the number one fitness app for endurance athletes, right? Yeah, well, I, um, that, that wasn't so much my idea. I mean, Mark, you know, Mark uh, Ganey um, and Michael Horvath were the founders of Strava. They, they saw a product that we built at Brightface. It's, it's better to say, like Brightface for me was kind of like an eight stand. I, I came, you know, eight, nine years out of medical devices. Um, you know, the eight and nine years of medical devices, uh, anyone, any of my friends that are still in that world, I mean, it's, it's, it's a living hell sometimes, <laughs> um, class two and class three devices are really tough on top of the, the product development process. So Brightface was really a product development company that shipped, you know, a lot of different things, but a lot of web applications. And we built a product there called Cycleface. Um, and so I, I'll, I'll kind of set the stage for the listeners, mm-hmm. you know, Strava had already built this unbelievable uh, product you know they started in 2009 and they had built this endurance athlete application for you know obviously endurance athletes for cyclists runners triathletes um, and amassed a big presence and they had two subscriptions levels basic and premium premium was still fairly new at that point in time I think we're in 2011 or 12 by then and they were very feature uh, rich and the interesting thing at Strava at that time was they really wanted to get into expanding commerce-based application. So the reason why they bought Cycleface was because we launched the very first release of shop.strava.com, which was their attempt to go into and capture more market share, more revenue uh, from their existing user base, their premium subscribers um, around products like Garmin devices or nutrition. And and so we built Cycleface. It was really cool. Um, I I would like to say, you know, we, we kind of built a behavioral algorithm um, you know, machine learning algorithm that would look specifically, we use Strava's API um, to look at the behaviors for endurance athletes. And when we looked at those behaviors, we could actually find out the best times that you wanted to eat. So we called it nibble, nibble, sip, sip. Uh, it was really fun when we shipped it to our uh, Cycleface customers. So basically, we could drop a bottle of nutrition on your doorstep within 48 hours of you running out of your nutrition based off your writing, your personal writing uh, style. And uh, it was a game changer. The, the, it was a commercial success overnight uh, with thousands of, of customers just in the first few weeks. And, you know, Mark and Mike took a big interest in that and they flew out with Jordan. Jordan and Alex Mather, Jordan Colbert is who we worked with there, Covert. Um, and they, they flew out and uh, this acquisition was just awesome. Culturally, I'm telling you, like the two companies couldn't have been more aligned. So a lot of love and respect for the Strava family, for sure. Uh, it's great when an acquisition actually comes together and works out. <laughs> it's nice. Which we're going to talk about one of those uh, pretty soon about Pluralsight. But, um, but there was one more company that you started, Tanner Labs, that before you joined Pluralsight, right? Yeah, well, OC Tanner Corporation, uh, this, is, you know, this is why the kind of the wide of the range of my uh, skills you know, go kind of from startup hardware, software, and then OC Tanner, for instance, is the world's largest uh, corporate recognition company. They've been, over, been around for over 90 years. 
And really what I was asked um, to do there is, um, you know, the charter that was to come in and disrupt the, the current thinking uh, and products that they were, you know, they were aimed at. Clayton Christensen's book, The Innovator's Dilemma, um, you know, I was asked to go in there and, and help them, you know, chart out what potentially could look like a new future for their car, for, for their core products, but, but adjacencies, like products they'd never even considered before. And so we stood up um, Tanner Labs. Um, we pulled from the, the best and the brightest, um, you know, from the industry and also at OC Tanner. I mean, the people at OC Tanner, man, are brilliant. I mean, they are the kindest, uh, most intellectually capable group of people. And their mission is to, to recognize human beings. I mean, think about the mission of this company. It's fantastic. The foundation that it was built on, Obert Tanner, who built the company, um, as the founder, I mean, dedicated its origin story to um, rewarding people for, you know, career achievement. It's, it's just awesome. Um, it's, it's a pastime that I wished uh, a lot of the companies today would invest a lot more time around um, because it's so, it's so special to reward and recognize uh, for, you know, for outstanding achievement and contribution. So we, you know, we built very successful products there. We built three products there. Uh, we built a, a services product, Moments. Uh, we built Grazi, which, a, which was a, a fully blown native iOS, Android uh, appreciation rewards experience, um, which was a competitive product to their core. And so we got to feel all the friction uh, with that process. And then we actually built a one-step adjacency in corporate wellness called Wellbe. Um, and that was, it was really fun to build those three products, I think for OC Tanner's own learning. Uh, and then also, you know, to show the marketplace that, you know, OC Tanner can keep up with the pace of change. And it was a, it was a really fun time to work with that company, work with that team. Uh, and just, I have a lot of really fond memories of, of OC. Let's talk about Pluralsight, the, you know, the company that you're with now and you have been yeah. with for a little while. Um, so what does Pluralsight do? Yeah, I mean, Pluralsight's the world's largest developer IT, um, you know, training library in the world. Uh, if, if you look at really, you know, what the mission of the company is, is to democratize technology skills at massive scale. <clears throat> and the, the reason why that's so important to every single person that drives into work every day is that we truly believe that um, opportunity is not equally distributed. It's access to these technology skills. If we could give access to these skills around the world, you know, we believe that the world would look a lot different. Um, <clears throat> and that, that, and that, that's all the way between race, gender, diversity, and inclusion. I mean, we care a ton about the social impact side of this, so much so that we built, you know, PS1, which is our social impact arm. Uh, it, it really is, if, if you talk to people here um, and you ask them why they work at Pluralsight and what matters to them, you know, this mission uh, will, will resound. Uh, from from every uh, person in our company. The other half is this B2B mission that we have, which is we believe that we're delivering, you know, um, a business to business experience for technology leaders that they've never had before. Uh, and it's really giving them the confidence that they have, you know, adaptable, reliable, skilled, uh, you know, secure skills, technology based skills inside their organization to keep up with the pace of change. And that's more about the products they are building Right. So they, they know that they have developers, they have product managers, user experience designers, DevOps, you know, data science, AI. They have the correct job families and skills to transform their organization to build better products for the human condition. And it's really giving confidence to those technology leaders that, in fact, 
um, they do have the ability to do that. And so we have lots of really cool experiences like skill IQ um, and role IQ that have completely changed um, the, tele the, the technologist's uh, game to go back and prove to the business uh, that they have the correct skills for scale. Um, you know, skill IQ, if you're not familiar with that, but, you know, five minutes and roughly 20 to 25 test questions, we can objectively give the hard skill of an individual learner inside of an organization. And me being a technology leader, the beauty there is that I've never known how capable my org is. And now for the first time in the world, we've been able to deliver that uh, emphatically, which is, has been really fun. And the company's headquartered in, in Utah, right? Like, so, so what's the entrepreneurial yeah. scene in, in Utah like? It's huge. I mean, Silicon Slopes is blowing up like crazy here, man. Um, you know, it's, it's a hotbed here. You know, recent news, you know, Qualtrics was just sold to SAP for $8 billion, monster acquisition, you know, huge uh, kudos to that team. But I mean, we've got like an insane startup scene. Podium's going to be big. DiviPay's is going to be massive. Um, you know, you've got some really, really fun commerce-based applications here. I mean, Ancestry's here. Um, Domo's here. It's great companies, um, you know, to, to come work for. And I'd say the technology scene is, is ripe. It is, it is awesome. So with these success stories, are you starting to see a lot more entrepreneurs now going off to start their own companies, like a little spider web type of effort? Yeah, I think, I think um, it's still early days here, but I'll, I mean, I'll give you what I think is going to happen. Um, you know, Silicon Valley's, you know, way, way ahead and it's going through its own, you know, refiner's fire. I, I feel I think Utah is really, really early. Um, you know, if you think about the, you know, when I raised uh, money for Paramed, which was, you know, 1998, I kind of came up with the idea, early 2000s, there really, there really was hardly anyone that had actually raised like seed, series A, B. I mean, I don't even think that nomenclature was around this valley uh, back in the day. I mean, we were doing angel investments back then at $25,000 and $50,000 at the time. I mean, today it's dramatically changed. I mean, it's very common for startups. We've got a, a great VC scene here uh, with, you know, with Paleon and Mercado and Kickstart and, um, you know, Peterson Partners. I mean, honestly, there's just a great, great group of, you know, investors. Um, they're, you know, smart money uh, going into these companies, which is great. It also holds founders accountable. And really to answer your question about, you know, what we think the future holds, I think after you have some of these big exits and liquidity events, um, and it provides more value creation for these individual contributors and leaders around the valley in Utah and more successful IPO stories, you're going to see those really strong, gigantic uh, seeds get planted. And then these are going to grow really transformational companies. Um, we've already done a, a fairly good job of that now, but just not in gross numbers. But I think you're going to see it absolutely transform the Salt Lake Valley here in the next decade. Pluralsight went public this year back in May. So what was that process like? <laughs> oh, man, that is like, <laughs> that's, that's a lot to chat about. <laughs> I'll, I'll condense it. <clears throat> so James Budge, our CFO, Aaron Sconard, myself, uh, you know, we, we took the company out here uh, May 17th, I believe is the date. If I remember right. May 17th, it all blurs together. Um, and I will tell you that experience for me personally was very special. Um, you know, again, you know, I, I would say the origin story is, is a learner's mindset for me. And I, I, you know, I got taught uh, a lot, like a lot on the road, the testing the waters was a really interesting, um, learning experience. And I think the road show was interesting 
And for probably two reasons is that what investors care about um, around our story and around the business um, is seemingly getting more and more and more aligned with how our customers think about our business. You know, I, I was kind of in this domain of like ROI efficacy, you know, return on, return on investment. Um, <clears throat> but you'd be surprised a lot of those conversations deeply sit in our product um, and and questioning the, the viability, the long term viability of our product at scale. And that was a lot of those 60 minute meetings. We would spend time on sales and financials, but a lot of them would dig really deep on the viability and the long term viability of of our product and our experience and, and our, our authors specifically. So I learned, I learned a lot about, you know, I obviously I have a bias. I, I deeply care so much about our, our authors. I mean, we have 2000 of the brightest subject matter experts in the world. I think it's the protective mode. I think it's the unique differentiator. Um, but the investing community, I mean, they, they picked up on it in a moment's notice. Uh, and they asked a ton of questions around our authoring community, which was really meaningful to me personally. The other thing I'll say, is look, um, you know, for me personally, without getting super emotional about it, um, you know, you don't, as a technology leader, technology leaders don't often get to go do those type of things. Um, you know, usually it's the CFO and the CEO that, that represent the company. And so, you know, as a, as a creator, as a technologist, I'm really grateful to Aaron, our board of directors, and to James for, one, considering me, and then two, for that role being important enough to our business model for it to go on the road to represent itself. And I think, you know, bigger, bigger is this is going to be a trend. I think this is something that you're going to consistently see that I think technology leaders or product leaders are going to be on the road more representing uh, more of the why. Because I believe that the technology strategy is really the corporate strategy. That's what's happening uh, in, in the world today. And so, yeah, man, it was it was very special. Um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful because I get to stand on the back of, um, of, of giants, which is my team. My team is just, um, man, I can just tell you the, the commitment from our team right now on disrupting kind of the last trillion dollar industry here, education, uh, you know, you, you get fueled by a lot of the passion of my teammates. That's, that's what really drives it. Well, uh, part of Pluralsight's growth is growing the team in Boston, which came about originally with an acquisition. So the uh, Pluralsight acquired Smarer in 2014, and that company was actually co-founded by Dave Balter, who we actually had on our podcast not too long ago. Yeah. But um, so, uh, what are you? What's Pluralsight working on in in the Boston office? Like, what are the the core aspects of the product that's being built there? Yeah, I mean, bigger, bigger strategy, you've got an HQ, you know, in Salt Lake City, Utah, we're building a big campus here in Utah, should be done by 2020. We've actually got another um, HQ in Dublin, Ireland. And then we've also got a massive uh, investment in Boston. And so if we kind of click into Boston, specifically, uh, in the context, we bought eight companies. Uh, one of those companies was Smarter. Smarter, the origin story behind Smarter was really um, the adaptive test taking engine. I mean, they built uh, this, you know, the kind of the underlying machine learning for, you know, Iris. <clears throat> I mean, for Skill IQ, sorry. And, you know, the, the people in Boston, man, I mean, there's super talented folks in Boston. Um, and, and everyone, unfortunately, <laughs> is, starting, is starting to wake up to it. Um, but I think, I think what you're seeing there is, you know, a couple of different unique investments that we care the, the most about. 
one, we, we believe that machine learning um, and data science, um, you know, and AI is going to continue to be a driver uh, for products to be successful in the future. We feel like Boston uh, has an unfair advantage, uh, definitely geographically related and just the institutional knowledge that lives within that area. Um, you know, a, a very strategic unfair advantage. Um, the team that was out there with the smart acquisition uh, is, you know, super, super brilliant group of folks who really helped us uncover and see a lot of the opportunity long term uh, in Boston for us. And so we really, you know, we really planted some strong stakes in the ground around our commitment there. So, for instance, we have a building there on 60 State. Um, you know, we we took on a five year lease, 25 ish thousand square feet, and we only had a team of. I 28 people when we took on that space. So basically we'd occupied a football field. Um, that's the way that it felt. And, and it really was that. So when we brought interview candidates, we brought people into that building, into that space, most were like, well, you know, you know, what's your commitment like? Well, this is the demonstration of the commitment. It's five years, 25,000 feet and 150 to 150 people in two to three years. I mean, that's the overarching goal. Um, you know, we invested in a, in a leader there, James Alward, who, you know, you know, came from Fidelity, but, you know, a bunch of different Boston areas, you know, supported startups and had a discipline, had a core competency around building, you know, data products at scale. And I'll tell you that the team that reports into James now is some of the closest, you know, some of my closest friends, um, you know, inside of the company today, and they've delivered massive uh, value. So when you join this team, you automatically feel the culture, um, you know, of Pluralsight. Uh, two, you feel the mission and then what we really are trying to generate or create, which is the most personalized, unified learning experience in the world. The differentiator for us is that we curate content, right? We position that in front of, you know, individual learners from around the world. 150 different countries, you know, are represented in our unified learning experience. And so if you look at what the machine learning team, the data science team has to do in Boston, you know, they have to constantly surface you know, instructionally designed, well-delivered content to unified learners um, around the world. And it taught us a ton, man. Like this team is just crazy good. So when you join this team, you learn about learning styles and truly disrupting education and how you deliver content to these different learning styles for just-in-time learners or high-focus and low-focus learners. I mean, it's just a really fantastic uh, group in Boston. The last thing I'd say, diversity and inclusion is a huge piece for us. Um, you know, Utah, Utah is a predominantly is a really young uh, technology scene um, here, uh, and you you don't have nearly the diversity that you would want um, to build to build a very holistic strategy across the business um, at at massive scale. And I'll tell you a big why behind that is that when you're building a learning product uh, for 150 different countries, and if you look at the way we're organized, the way we actually build our product, they're cross functional. They're co-located, but the underlying architecture of our product for, you know, the, the real nerds out there is that we, we use microservices or bounded contexts. Um, and the bounded contexts are using any language framework to a process, any software development language framework to a process. People ask, well, why did you do that? Well, it's because we, we care about the diversity of software languages, but it's a hiring decision. The reason why we did that is that because we want anyone from any community to be able to be a developer on our team so they can build a better learning product for our customer. It's a demonstration of our mission. 
And so Boston is a wonderful area for us to consider to help bringing more diversity and inclusion to, to build our products. And, you know, as we step into the foray of considering open source um, more and more and more um, and, and giving some of the Legos and the parts away that build Pluralsight, um, you know, we want that to span, you know, the world. We, we want the world's developers to be able to create education products uh, at scale. So that's, that's the main driver for Boston. It's a, it's a big initiative for us here inside the company. Well, for the, the, the positions in Boston, like what, what can someone expect for the interview process if someone's coming in? Like what are the, you know, you talked about, you know, we're looking, you know, diversity is important, but what, what, like what are the qualifications you generally look for when hiring at the company? Yeah, I mean, so, um, you know, you're going to have product managers. I'll talk about each one, but product managers, user experience designers, software developers, machine learning, uh, data scientists, um, are, are going to be like those kind of core fundamental roles. We also have content roles there as well. If you think about product management and user experience design, I mean, we use directed discovery, which is all human centered, you know, product development methodologies. So ethnography, you know, we, we, we want somebody that can do voice of the customer interviews and synthesize all of that data into a unified story map. And we can build prototypes for, you know, learners and, you know, leaders to, to look at and give us critical feedback so we can improve our product. Um, you know, for data science, machine learning, I mean, every, the whole purpose of this is to personalize, is to give our product more cognitive state, right? That it can sense and respond based on how I learn, and then I can give personalized content recommendations or skill IQ or close a learning gap faster uh, to apply my knowledge. And so those data scientists and engineers are working on, you know, recommendations engines or search engines right now uh, to, to give you better curated experiences uh, that speak to who you are off of an individual uh, learning perspective. And so those, those would be some of the roles and some of the jobs that we deeply care about um, and are passionate. I mean, the passion for personalized learning here is uh, what drives the company's mission forward. Now, one of the things that kind of off the beaten path a little bit, but um, what, if someone was interested in a career in product management but didn't have that practical experience, how would you recommend, you know, how do they pursue that type of career path? <laughs> Well, you, this is going to be a self-serving answer, but on Pluralsight now. <laughs> I mean, we, we, have, we, have, we have a huge library of product management and, um, uh, and actually how to practice and build those school skills. Um, you know, I think inside of Pluralsight, this is you know, why the company exists. Is we, we have a, a very strong commitment to the practices, um, to the skills that you use to do your job. Um, else who would we be, you know, if, if we weren't out there trying to, uh, be a demonstration for the world on how to do this at massive scale. There's a lot of pride, um, I think, in our team on teaching people the correct skills. But, you know, Pluralsight's library is, is full of them. Um, if you want, you know, a, a ton of, you know, Nate Walkingshaw's thoughts, I've, everything that I probably ever think about sits on Medium today uh, in the product leadership book. Uh, I've written a ton on Medium. And then I wrote a post that, that gets a you know, a lot of reads right now, which is Agile Guide While Doing Your Stand-Up. And then, you know, that was an article that really led them, you know, led the, the reader into the foray of what I feel like is the next kind of evolution of how you develop technology products at scale. Uh, and it really is about the people. It's about the teams. Um, I think we can build great products, but it really is about how you organize flowly efficient teams. I won't, I won't go too much on a, on a big, you know, rant here, but... Typically, organizations have designed teams for resource efficiency, and um, that's actually inaccurate. It, you need to design teams for flow efficiency, and the reason why that's important is that 
you're trying to deliver a product today that has continuous discovery and continuous delivery ingrained into you know what it's trying to produce and why is that important well the customer today is constantly adapting and so your product has to be able to deliver value at at the moment's notice um, it also has to be able to discover why it needs to shift that value proposition you know at any point in time and so it's the constant flow of value that comes out of the organization not the constant um you know, stewardship over the resources over the eight to you know eight to five workday, and did they produce X lines of code? That's just an output. The outcome is: did we provide value, consistent value, year over year, to our customers to make sure that our value proposition um, really says what it's you know really does what it says uh, it's intended to do? And so, you know, I'm I'm riding a ton on flow efficiency these days. I'm on organizing the whole stack um, inside the technology organization around being more flow efficient. There's no doubt. I mean, the how products are created, it's so night and day compared to, you know, I, I don't know, like cycles, but certainly, you know, 5, 10, 15, I'm just crazy how quickly, uh, you know, methodologies change and adapt. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a big topic. I, it's um, something that I really care uh, deeply about. I, the one example that I'll give you is look, skill IQ, for instance. When, I, when you say democratizing technology skills, um, you know, I want to give the learn like the listener an as-lived example of that. Like today, inside the experience org at Pluralsight, if I didn't have skill IQ, um, and I've got hundreds of developers and people say, well, how skilled is someone in React or how skilled is someone in product management or how skilled is someone in user experience design? And that was, you know, qualitatively, you know, assessed. Um, and it was pretty subjective. It wasn't really super fair. Um, so for instance, with skill IQ, um, I can actually give a product management UX or engineering, like for engineering, for instance, a React skill IQ, um, you know, assessment. And within five minutes, that individual learner knows exactly how skilled they are relative to the most current, you know, latest version of React. Here's what it does for leadership, though. Is leadership, it completely flattens your org, like, like overnight. Um, we've got so many customer stories where, you know, large financial institution uh, you know, a 19-year-old intern that turned into a full-time employee, um, you know, built their first mobile-driven Siri application, mm -hmm. um, which was remarkable. And if you look at hierarchies and organizational design, and like this person would have never been given the opportunity. Um, you know, one, we exposed that this person, you know, had these skills, and then two, how skilled they were. And then three, you allowed those teams a psychological safety to go out and build, like build a solution that matches the customers need and that is and that is the, that is so so critical right now like we we have got to transform these organizations um to leverage all of this brilliance that sits inside these companies today um but these old structures um you know have really caused companies to become laggards and uh, and this day and era right now is is um is important it's why open source is just killing it right now it's why ibm buys red hat it's why microsoft like, Let's go to 60,000 patents. Um, you know, it's a really, really special time to be a technology leader today. Very cool. Well, Nate, thanks so much for taking the time to share all the information about your background and obviously your thoughts around product leadership. And then, of course, everything that's going on in the uh, you know, Boston office for Pluralsight, which is super exciting. Yeah, and hey, hey, for all those people who are listening in Boston, come, come apply, man. You guys got to 
you guys get <laughs> out there, reach out to us. If you're in product UX, you know, machine learning, data science, man, get, get in here. We need you. Well, you can definitely check out all the job openings for their Boston office on VentureFizz, on Pluralsight's biz page, or you can check them out directly on their careers page. Well, Nate, thanks again for taking the time and uh, for sharing all your words of wisdom. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I, I really have appreciated our time together. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.